0: Everybody. welcome back to Lords of Order, a DC's Dr. Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore, and this is episode 103. If you want to send feedback, you can email me at at gmail.com. Leave comments on the pages for Lords of Order on Facebook and Google+, Plus. Teal, T-E-A-L Productions, At Twitter and the website is com slash Dr. Fate. Now I thought that uh, it was about time to switch to some more of the modern coverage of Dr. Fate. I've been doing a decent series of Golden Age appearances. Uh, From what I can tell from the news uh, and my actual readings, uh, Dr. Fate maybe is on the verge of becoming more prominent now than he has been in recent past, at least since the end of his um, uh, Khalid, I believe that was his first name, Khalid Nasur, uh volume, his most recent named volume. So going back, it uh, looks like the next thing to cover, if I wanted to stay on any kind of track, of course I know I can cover anything, but I'm, I'm trying to maintain some sort of uh, a viewable uh, l- delineation of, of what I'm covering as I go from old to new, back and forth. So, this episode is going to be some more contemporary coverage. Um, I have pulled his appearances from the most recent volume, the 2016 volume of The Blue Beetle. Now, that volume lasted 18 issues. Uh, Dr. Fate appeared on and off in the first 10. I've read the first 13. Uh, I haven't had anything to do with those final five of The Blue f- Blue Beetle volume, but I'm pretty sure he didn't have any appearances in there. None that I can see listed anywhere without sitting down and, and going through the actual issues by themselves. So these will be um, the, the first ten issues is basically what I'm going to talk about. And those came out from September of 2016 to September of 2017. The writer writers during that period were Keith Giffen. Scott Collins and JMD Mateus. The pencils were all by Scott Collins. The inks were all by Scott Collins. At least credited, I'll say. Uh, the colors by Romulo Fiardo Jr. and letters by Josh Reed throughout that run. Now, the first five issues have been reprinted in the Blue Beetle uh, trade paperback from D.C. dated 2017 and it had a subtitle. I forget what it was. I didn't write that down. And then 6 through 12 have also been collected in a second volume trade paperback. So between those two, that will cover the issues that that I'm going to uh, be looking at because of Dr. Fate's appearances. Uh, and I also will say the, the final two or three issues of the most recent Dr. Fate volume coincided with the first two or three issues of this Blue Beetle volume. The Dr. Fate's And arguably, between the two books, there have been four depictions. And I'll explain that as I go through this. Um, The two depictions in Blue Beetle are very different from the two depictions in his latest volume. So, and and again, when when I really come to that, I'll I'll explain why, uh, how those are different. So the first issue of the Blue Beetle opens with a fight between a giant beetle, uh, arguably it's blue, I guess. It looks kind of blackish in coloration to me, but given the title of the book that we're in, we'll go ahead and call it a giant blue beetle, uh, looking very much insect-like. Uh, and uh, an ancient Egyptian attired Dr. Fate. It's got an, an Egyptian knee-length tunic, no leggings, um, all the other raiments, the uh, belt and the gauntlets and the helmet of fate. Big um, pyramids in the background trying to really get you into where it's taking place. But um, this turns out to be a dream that the current Blue Beetle, Jamie Hayes, or Reyes, depending on how it's pronounced, um, has been having night after night after night, and he's relaying this to one of his friends, that you know, not only is this dream kind of weird, but I've been having this exact same dream multiple nights in a row. Uh, in this issue, we also learn that Dr. Fate has been in touch with Ted Cord, who, those of you that know Blue Beetle, will understand the significance of that name, um, who is mentoring Jamie. And so, Fate has gone to Ted saying that he, Fate, wants to speak to Jamie. Now, I thought that was kind of interesting because being Dr. Fate, he could just poof, go to wherever he wanted to and talk to whomever he wanted to. But that that wasn't the way he was playing this for some reason. He was kind of standoffish with Jamie, talking to the mentor instead. All right, we slip to issue three, where Ted finally explains more about the visit uh, that he had with Dr. Fate to Jamie. Um, it was more than initially thought where, hey, dude A stops by dude B and says, "I'd like to talk to Dude C." Uh, it was very much a an imposing Doctor Fate, uh, imposing to a point. A- and Ted Cord, who is now well, not that he ever has necessarily, but he is he is just a a, a guy. Uh, he's not a superhero. He doesn't have powers or anything like that. So it's a very Ted knows Doctor Fate from when he was a superhero but now he is just a man talking to this potential pinnacle of m- magic in the DC universe um arguably one of the most powerful superheroes period but definitely the most powerful magic wielding superhero so he he relays that uh meeting finally to Jamie and um dr fate has some very cryptic foreboding kind of beware uh, Lines about the scarab. Um, now, the scarab is this uh, thing; could be a construct, it could be a creature uh, that gives Jamie his powers in this volume, and I believe in in a preceding volumes that has had Jamie Reyes as the uh, protagonist, the carrier of the the beetle mythos. All right, in issue four, we see that Doctor Fate, uh, who is is or is projecting in Suidad Juarez, which I believe is just the other side of the international border from El Paso. I believe that's, in the, that's the Mexico side. Um, and he appears and forces a jeep off, off the road to avoid hitting him as he is just taking up space in the road, forces the jeep off the road, and it goes off a, a bridge into a canal falls into the water. Fate goes down, doesn't bother with the person who is driving the Jeep, rather looks in a wooden chest, opens it up and sees that it's empty, and leaves the scene, um, pretty much leaving the driver to drown. And as far as I can tell from reading, the this person doesn't come back in the series. So for all intents and purposes, he did allow this gentleman to drown, And from later issues and flashbacks, I believe this character to be Dan Garrett, who, again, those of you that know Beetle lore will understand the significance of that character, because we see that Dan Garrett and Ted Cord used to live, in in this volume of Blue Beetle anyways, used to live next to each other, and they were neighbors, and they had some interactions that um, allow you to realize that... That person who is named Dan Garrett was this person who was not named and died in the Jeep. Moving to issue five, on the the very final page of the issue, we see that Dr. Fate um, rises up, exits his tower via some mystical tunnel teleporting kind of thing, um, and leaves. So we hadn't seen him, and then all of a sudden we see him just leave, uh, presumably going to arrive next issue or so, somewhere within our notice, as we are in El Paso, Texas, which I don't believe I said that. Uh, This Blue Beetle is based in El Paso, Texas. Issue six, we see that um, Dr. Fate surreptitiously is monitoring an argument between Ted Cord, Jamie, and Jamie's mom, uh, for various reasons that don't have anything to do with Fate, but very much have to do with the Blue Beetle series itself. And then when Jamie leaves um, angry and in tears because of not the result of the argument, but because of why there is even an argument, uh, Fate follows him. Ultimately, Dr. Fate um, confronts, okay, let's see, without, um, in the sanctum of the big bad that we're going to find, Fate confronts the beetle armor that has been souped up And is not being powered by Jamie, again, for reasons of the story. But it's it's a a pretty cool little showdown between a big, beefy beetle armor, blue beetle armor, and Dr. Fate himself. Issue 7, the fight continues. We have a flashback in time to the next progression, the next part of the battle that we saw start the series at the beginning of Issue 1. We see... um, if, if you put the two scenes together, they would be one continuous scene. They had just been cut uh, for storytelling purposes. And we find that someone from D.C.'s ancient past, like I believe that said 45,000 years B.C., uh, has come to claim the power of the beetle, whom Dr. Fate apparently killed in the battle, but he must not have because there is still juice to suck from the corpse or the living being or whatever, that Arian, Lord of Atlantis, has come to claim. Again, this is in ancient Egypt, so this would be much after even Arian's time. Uh, And this is an Arian that is looking decidedly more evil than anything I ever remember seeing back in the 80s from his title and the handful of of subsequent appearances since then, Uh, one of which was a connection to Power Girl once upon a time that I believe was cast asunder because writers wanted to. So we see now that Arian and this Dr. Fate, who does indeed turn out to be Naboo, um, fighting each other. Fate defeats Arian in the uh, flashback, but then currently, where Arian has revealed himself to be the big bad in our time now who is wanting to claim the power of the scarab that Nabu denied him in ancient Egypt. Here he defeats fate such that he even crumples with his hand the helmet of fate. Now, there would be times when that would be decidedly nasty because the fate helmet and the rest of the raiments were um, on, on a man. A man was wearing them. But here, these... Vestments turn out to be um, empowered. I guess that would be the word by the the spirit and magics of Nabu. So even though it looks like it's a body wearing all these things, there is there is nothing corporeal there. And so reaching out and crushing the helmet, uh, seemingly in my mind, would dispatch whatever energies are powering the materials, rather than truly. Killing, you know, pulping somebody's bone skull by crushing the helmet. At that same time, we see in the Tower of Fate that a slumbering Kent Nelson, uh, perhaps slumbering, perhaps he was in some kind of trance, uh, suddenly, you know, rises up and shouts um, as this dispatching of the raiments of fate had some physical effect on him. Kent Nelson seems rather pleased that he has been freed of the presence of Nabu, but of, of course, in my mind, perhaps not, of course, to everybody reading. Uh, but Nabu is not so easily dispatched. He comes back to the Tower of Fate, kind of his base. Um, tells Kent Nelson that no, he is not free of him after all. Um, collects himself magically goes back to this hidden sanctum that um, Arian is in, which turns out to be located X number of feet below El Paso, Texas. I forget what they said, 500 feet, I think, something like that. And um, re-engages his mystical, high-energy, very eye-popping, particularly with Scott Collins' art, uh, battle with Arian, or at least this aspect of Arian, if this turns out to really not be his body. And Arian reveals his plan that he's glad fate was not uh, destroyed, because his real plan doesn't really have anything to do with the Scarab, but rather he wants to incorporate into himself the energies that Nabu possesses and in doing so will finally allow him, Arian, to uh, exist in our plane. So he's, whatever, out of phase, or he's not truly on this plane, but it will give him the power to be on this plane and overtake the entire plane, which apparently is something that um, Arian has wanted to do since whatever happened to Atlantis back then. He feels that this is the uh, taking over the Earth is the just deserts, for that. Um, I'm not even remotely up on that aspect of the story. I don't know how true that is or out of character or in character or anything like that. All right, so we move to issue nine, where in the midst of the battle, we see that the inhabitants of El Paso that have been transmogrified uh, because of the influence, the evil dark influence of Aryan, is leading an attack that is led by Mordecai, they're one side, okay, and on the other side is Ted Cord, uh, Jamie Raya's wearing one of Cord's original, or not original, but early Blue Beetle suits, rather than this armor that he has. Uh, he has lost the he has lost the ability to communicate with the Scarab. The Scarab is kind of like unconscious at this point, and, and Jamie can't control it at all. So he went for help and donned a an original or much more original, anyways, Blue Beetle suit. So he's wearing that. We have Brother One's OMAC unit, uh, Kev, whatever his last name turns out to be. Let me look here. Kev Co, K H O from actually from the most recent OMAC volume, and Terry Magnus, who turns out to be Ted Cord's aide de camp in uh, the the Blue Beetle volume. During the course of this battle, um, Terry Magnus stumbles upon the Helmet of Fate that once again has become dislodged. Uh, It still contains the essence of Nabu. It instructs Terry to take the helmet to the Tower of Fate in Salem. So while all the fighting is going on, she does that. She's a, a speedster, much akin to the Flash. Well, actually, uh, she turns out to be the Flash from JLA 3000. Actually, is later on in the story that's who she is. Don't know if Ted Cord knows this. I actually, I don't. don't want to get. I don't want to get too much into the Blue Beetle book because that's not what I'm trying to talk about. Just Fate's appearances. But um, she runs back to the tower, places the helmet. On, again, the unconscious or semi-conscious or comatose or whatever his situation is, Kent Nelson places the helmet on his head and automatically there's a waking up kind of reaction at the end of that issue. Just as this uh, climactic battle takes a decidedly uh, un-good-guy turn, Dr. Fate, who is now Kent Nelson... And Terry Magnus, who is adorned in more Flash-like attire, more superhero-y attire, she has been running around just in street clothes. But now she looks like our idea, our typical idea of a superhero in comic books nowadays. They return and re-engage Aryan. Again, though, Aryan defeats Dr. Fate, but he himself is um, is not defeated, but is is kicked around quite a bit by Jamie Reyes who now has resumed control of the Scarab and so is using the the blue beetle scarab powers to defeat uh, to to wail on Aryan ultimately the blue beetle almost by himself defeats Aryan uh, Dr. Fate restrains the now defeated Arian and is about to separate Jamie Reyes and the Scarab when Ted Cord steps up and convinces Dr. Fate not to because Jamie can do some good, uh, allow him to prove himself before you go making any judgments. So Fate grabs up Arian and leaves, claiming that he'll be keeping an eye on the Mystic Scarab and the Blue Beetle, uh, Jamie Reyes, Union. And that is an issue 11 of the run. That essentially is the last, to my knowledge, of Fate's appearances in that run. Now, the comparison that I alluded to or, or briefly spoke on, but not in depth, about the different Doctor Fates, the Khalid Nasur slash Kent Nelson Okay. Now, Khalid had the fate, uh, the Nabu, the Lord of Order powers. However, you want to phrase it, his was from uh, Basset, I believe, and Kent Nelson, who just had residual. I once wielded the powers. There's some left over in me, kind of powers. Okay, that was that was the relationship there. Now, in this book, we see a fully powered Nabu mystical ghosty like apparition with the Doctor Fate Rainments. Um, fully powered, roaming around doing things, and a Kent Nelson who is less than conscious most of the time. Um, and he has been so for quite a while because he has long hair and scraggly beard, mustache, you know, alluding to a change of time, but not a change of person in my mind. Relationship. Now, by the end of this appearance in The Blue Beetle, Kent Nelson has fully resumed all of the powers of the Nabu uh, merging Dr. Fate. So, uh, very different ideas of how to use Dr. Fate, which that whole concept is is one of the biggest problems I have with contemporary DC and Marvel comics. And in my mind, that's a, a near total dismissal of any kind of continuity. And, and that annoys me. That bothers me. Now... As far as this series, like I said, I, I read the first 13 issues of this, and it had Kent Nelson, Nabu, Dr. Fate. It had Sugar and Spike, a new rendition of Sugar and Spike. Dan Garrett, Ted Cord, Jamie Reyes, Blue Beetle. Okay, It had Brother I, Omac, and Kevin Coe. Terry Magnus, who, as I said, is the Flash from JLA 3000. Tina Sung, who is the Batgirl from JLA 3000, and Aryan, all of those characters in the first 13 issues. That made this, this run a whole lot of fun for me to read, because I really enjoy those throwbacks to Aryan, but I enjoy the remake of Sugar and Spike um, that they had in this, and I believe there was even a, a short series or maybe a one-off that had Sugar and Spike in it. Um, That was very entertaining, and I would recommend folks read to see the new retake on those characters. Scott Collins tore it up in this book. Now, it's my understanding that after issue 13, Collins and uh, Demetrius and Giffen all left the book. So unfortunately, the last five issues limped along with someone else. And potentially a lot of these story ideas that were started were not necessarily finished or not were not finished as conceived. But the first thirteen issues of this book, I am by no means a Blue Beetle fan at all, but they were a lot of fun to read and then throw in the fact that they had major appearances by a character that I do like in Doctor Fate. This was just a fun thirteen issues. I was I was kind of dreading this because I'm not a Blue Beetle fan. I don't dislike the Blue Beetle, but I'm I'm just not a fan. Um, But it really turned into something I really enjoyed reading. Um, Recommending it, uh, if if you're a Dr. Fate fan, I would definitely recommend the first ten issues. As I said, uh, you can find them collected in in the two trade paperbacks that have come out for this volume. Uh, A Blue Beetle fan, um, if you're old school Beetle, uh, maybe not so much. Uh, Definitely if you like the new Jamie Reyes or Hayez, I'm sorry, whichever. uh, Blue Beetle, definitely I would read this to catch up on what he's doing. Either way, uh, it was an enjoyable read. I liked what they did with Dr. Fate. I liked what Scott Collins did with Dr. Fate. I'll, I'll take a couple of these examples if I can and, and crop them up and post them as the um, pages with the this episode when I post it on the, on the website. After this, I believe All-Star Comics... The 1940 volume, issue 19, I believe it was, which is the winter 1943 issue, will be the next Golden Age book that I talk about, and that should be the next episode of the show, episode 104. I'll talk to you guys then. Ciao. of Order is a teal production, and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non commercial, non derivative 3.0 unported license.